Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie, and my co-host, Marcus Smith. And today, in a little bit of a TBT to last year's Breakpoint Podcast, we finally have a little bit of uh, leeway here in the offseason in between some tournaments to do some player profiles. And today we will be doing a requested player profile by one of my colleagues. One will be Francis Tiavo, and the other will be Taylor Fritz. So two of the main characters from Breakpoint, the Netflix documentary, uh, and we will uh, be talking about them today. So Marcus, why don't you give us a little bit of a breakdown on what exactly we do here on the player profiles, just to give the audience a little refresh. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Two of the obviously biggest American tennis players that we do have at the moment on player profiles, we kind of like to talk about a background of a player, how they kind of came to the tour, how they grew up, uh, what their family history is a little bit, um, and then just kind of their journey through junior and then pro tennis and uh, what they've kind of brought to the game, whether that be on the court, off the court. Um, if you've watched the Breakpoint series, you'll know that both of these guys are very unique. Um, they're very, very different. We got an East Coaster and we got a West Coaster. Uh, one guy's, you know, your classic Hollywood you know, actor looking, uh, Cali guy. And the other one's just all, you know, a grinder of, um, you know, an immigrant family that's made it, you know, in tennis. So I'm really excited to get into this one, Frank, this is going to be a really cool episode. Yeah. And I think that it kind of shows, I think for, we obviously have a lot of, um, non-American listeners. I think that this episode really highlights, uh, the sort of diversity that we have here in America, right? Uh, between somebody who is very much like a, you know, classic Americana and Taylor Fritz and somebody who is, you know, as Marcus mentioned, like the child of immigrants and, you know, doing the American dream like Francis Tiafo. So uh, let's get right into it. I think we're going to start with Tiafo, um, if you don't mind, Marcus. So why don't you give us a little bit of a breakdown of uh, who Francis Tiafo is, where he's from, and you know a little bit about his family too, because I know he's got that you know amazing story with it, with his father being a janitor at the tennis club. I don't want to steal your thunder, so go ahead. Yeah, so Francis and his twin brother Franklin, um, who who played college tennis, by the way, uh, were both born 1998 uh, in Maryland. The father was uh, came over in 1993 from war-torn Sierra Leone, uh, and the mother followed in 1996. So pretty incredible how they escaped Sierra Leone to make it to the United States. Uh, the father picked up his job as a custodian slash janitor at the uh, College Park Tennis Academy down in College Park, Maryland. You know, worked pretty much all day long. Uh, they, you know, ha- had two children there, Francis and Franklin, and then uh, they pretty much lived on site. Frank, they didn't really have enough money or couldn't really afford a place, so they pretty much lived in the closet, sort of, um, at College Park, Maryland. Um, you know, did as much as they could, and as Francis kind of grew up on site, you know, they started letting him play for free, um, which was obviously super nice of the Academy, uh, because the father worked very hard and did a great job of, you know, maintaining the place. And then, you know, kind of throughout Francis's career, you know, college park Maryland is known to be a top uh, producer of American tennis players and a, you know, really good Academy for American juniors. Francis kind of had access to all the, you know, we'll call it richer kids kind of coming in, really good talent coming into him so that he could only get better essentially. Um, and then from there, 
you know, he did, he had a really great junior career. I believe he was at least like top five in the world juniors. He won the orange bowl. He was, you know, grand slam champion. You know, he struggled a little bit in the beginning on tour. Um, and, and now, you know, kind of coming from basically nothing where his father really didn't have much to give him besides just kind of a bed to sleep in is now one of the top touring professionals sponsored by Nike. Uh, I believe he's sponsored by Jay-Z's uh, sports agency company, which is pretty neat too. So Francis Tiafo is kind of the epitome of uh, the American dream in terms of coming from an immigrant family with not much and kind of making it. Yeah, no, to your point, Francis Tiafo is definitely much more well-known in the mainstream uh, whether that be like culture, whatever you want to call it, uh, than than Fritz's, um, despite Taylor Fritz being the American number one top ten player in the world, I would say that Francis Tiafoe is much more well known. Even on like some of the basketball like stuff that I follow, right? Like Francis Tiafoe is a huge basketball fan, a huge Washington Wizards fan. Had Bradley Beal in his box during the U.S. Open when he was making his run, as well as um, there's another podcast that. I listened to by JJ Reddick, if you know who that is, called The Old Man and Three. And Francis Tiafa was a guest uh, on JJ Reddick's podcast. And Reddick talked about how much of a fan he was of Francis Tiafa. So Tiafa has like really done a nice job of cross promoting tennis, I think, uh, in comparison to his American peers, which I really appreciate. And I think he's really, really good for the game. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, Francis Tiafa was somebody who even when we were growing up and this is like something really unique for us, right? Like I remember Francis Tiafo when, when we were growing up, like being touted as like the junior of our age bracket, because these guys were our age, right? Like Fritz, for example, is 97, which is the year that we're both born. So, you know, like I remember Tiafo, like, you know, being the guy at nationals and everything like that. So he was somebody that I think everybody expected to be a touring professional, if not a top touring professional. Um, And we'll talk a little bit later about like whether he's lived, lived up to that yet. But, you know, I I think it's, it is something that we, we should talk about. Yeah. Believe it or not. I think Francis is an overachiever on the tour. Um, And Reason being is not physically. Physically, the guy's like one of the beastliest beasts on in, on the tour. Like so strong, so fast. His technique is horrible for a top twenty player. Atrocious. And let's get into that's actually a great segue. Let's transition because because we're gonna talk. I wanted to talk about this next. Um, let's talk about Francis Tiafoe's game style. Francis Tiafo, you know, he plays with that extreme. It's it's got to be a Hawaiian grip, like Jack Sock-esque um, on that forehand side. It's actually not that extreme, and I and I can see why you would think that. It's because of the way he tilts the racket. Yeah, I don't know it, if it's a take back, maybe. Yeah. Either way, it, it, if you it look at his forehand, it does not look pretty. Um, you know, it's not really a strong technique, and, and, and I. it's so interesting because, like, you don't want to say, like, Oh, he should probably fix that, but like it works for him. So like I'm kind of like whatever. But the the real glaring weakness with Tiafo, in in my opinion, like in his game, looking at it is the backhand, which is very like Nick Kyrgios like. Tell me if that description is correct. But like he's got that like sort of punch it back flat backhand that you really can't 
do too much. Like he doesn't do too much with it. Like he's not finishing points. He's not attacking with it. Anything like that. No, he's got the classic hardcore American flat backhand that you just hit cross court like 90% of the time in the hopes of getting a forehand. That's pretty much it. With Francis, he's so physically gifted that he can get away with have with having such horrifyingly looking technique. I mean, his serve technique I actually really like because he gets into the basics of it and he's got such a live arm that he can crack that thing. But off the ground, I honestly grew up, I never thought that he would be a top 30 player because I thought the technique would hold him back, but he's proven me wrong, so shout out to him for that. The only thing that I would say is that imagine if he had like more classical tennis technique and what that would bring him i think he would be on a different level yeah it's so interesting to like think about that though because like this is a guy that basically grew up at a tennis academy so it's like how does he not have the classical tennis technique that, that's what i'm asking you know what myself. i mean it, it just like it is kind of like wild to think about and you know francis like i i think like it's it's interesting hearing you say that because like at least from my perspective like growing like in our age growing up right that technique that francis has of like the extreme you know take back whatever you want to call it it like that was considered like the next gen forehand right like tiafa was like the classic example of like oh that's that's a guy that's gonna get extreme top spin and you know that's where the game is going to go. And even though all the teachers weren't teaching that way, there's a couple of guys who like Karen Kachanov is another one that comes to mind, like has like that weird flat angled take back, um, you know, but obviously that's not necessarily how the game has panned out. The clean technique has been working for the past hundred years for a reason, but yeah, I mean, I think that Tiafo. I think the Tiafo's strengths as a player are one, his athleticism is off the charts, right? Maybe it's not as good as somebody like, you know, FAA or Gael Monfi, but like he's certainly got to be up there. And I think second of like his pure tennis weapons, I think his forehand, I think his serve, sorry, is is dynamite. I think he's got a really, really nice serve and 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 first and second serve, by the way. I think he's got a nice compliment for both. Um and I think third, something that you have to give him, it's like, ironically, his biggest strength, one of his biggest strengths and probably his fatal weakness too, is his mental strength and his and his mentality. You know, like on one hand, I don't really ever see him get like too upset during a match. Like, I don't think he's ever like freaking out. At least I can't remember one off the top of my head. It always looks like he's having a good time out there. But that's also a weakness, too, because it seems sometimes like he does get unfocused. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's an absolute showman. He's up there in terms of showman in tennis, and that's why he's so good for the game. It's also his downside as to why maybe he can't break into that top 10 barrier that we would like to see him break into, Frankie, is because he lacks that, like, there comes a point where, yeah, you can be a showman, but there are some moments where you just got to be super intense. It doesn't matter what your personality is or what you bring to the court. And he seems to kind of lack that. I mean, we saw it We saw it uh, for the first time, and I think that's what surprised everybody, was at the U.S. Open last year in 2022, where he almost took out Carlos uh, and he beat Nadal en route. And it was just like, wow, OK, so he does have it. Um, and I think. Another thing that we should mention here is that Francis's career has honestly taken another step since he hired Wayne Ferreira as his coach. 100%. For, 
former former fantastic South African player who has leveled up his game, gotten him more focused. Again, he didn't really mess too much with his technique. He just kind of said, all right, we're going to make this work. Like this is how you hit the ball, but we're going to make it a little bit more compact. We're going to make it more effective. Uh, he's improved his net game a lot. That's something that you've seen him improve greatly. Um, and honestly, Frank, it's also so good to just to have like an African-American American in like the top of the game. It's just so good for the game. Just from a Particularly publicity. a man. Particularly yes. a man. Right. Because the women we've had, you know, Venus Serena, but we haven't had anybody pretty much since I'm going to say James Blake. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think the women's side has always has been fairly good, I'll say, about having African-American representation, whether it's Serena, Venus, uh, Madison Keys, Sloane Stevens, now Coco Golf. Like the list goes on and on. Like I can think of plenty. Taylor Townsend, like <laughs> it goes on and on. Um, whereas on the men's side, you know, that is just really, you know, lagged quite, quite frankly. Um, you know, so it's, it's good to have somebody like Francis Tiafo. How do you feel about like this description of him? Because this is something that comes to mind with him. I almost think about him as like, like a, a poor man's Nick Kyrgios. Like his serve is not as good as Kyrgios. His overall game is really just not as dynamic as Kyrgios's is. Kyrgios is one of the most talented players ever, right? But, like, they have, like, the same, like, sort of playful aloofness, you know, that and showmanship to the game. But, you know, like, it, unless they're able to really put it all together, like, and really focus up for a tournament, they just can't quite, like, hit that upper echelon. You know what I mean? Yeah, I wouldn't say he's a poor man just because I think that there are too many differences between the two. Like I see where you're going with the similarities, but there's to me there's too many differences. So for example, and I want to get your thoughts on this too when I after I'm done. I think Francis is an overachiever. I think Nick is an underachiever. Uh I think Francis takes the game more seriously on a regular consistent basis. I think Nick kind of cheats us a little bit with his effort. Um and, uh, you know, from a physicality standpoint, I think France is a little bit more physical, but I, but I see where you are there. But like, do, do you know what I mean? Like, does that does that make sense? I, I agree with all the things that you just said. My my response to you is that I think backhand wise, they are identical. The serve is probably the best like tennis part of their game. Both of them. For sure. Mm -hmm. And their forehands like. Technique wise do not look good. Both of them right like nick has a great forehand but like technique wise i would never teach that to someone right like never no um and they both just sort of make it work and they have that showmanship aspect to it but but yeah i agree with i agree with all of that i mean nick has certainly underachieved uh because we thought he would be a world beater uh francis i don't think we ever thought would be a world beater i thought i think most people's consensus was like hey this is a he's going to be a really good american tennis player one day uh but but yeah I, I would agree that francis like if you would tell would have told me five years ago that francis tiafo would make would make a grand slam semifinal and take down rafa nadal on his way to it right i would say like i i, I would literally just say like no it <laughs> just would not happen but he did that and he's been playing a lot better so you know, in fairness to him, you know, 
he has he has defied what I think most people uh, expected of him. You know, so, yeah, good. For and, and last thing for Francis, interestingly, um, as of recording today, Frankie, and we talked about this pre-show, he has a losing record on the ATP tour somehow. He has 145 to 146 record, but that's going to change. But it's just interesting fact for a guy who's ranked 15 in the world. Yeah, I think that's a wild stat, by the way. I, I would never have guessed that he has a losing record, but I guess it like kind of just shows you like he just is not super consistent. You know, that that's like the main thing with him. He has a lot of talent and his talent is certainly higher than his ranking is that I would say. Uh, and and he's somebody that like I think most of the top guys would not look forward to playing in like a round of 32, for example, at a major, right? Like not somebody I'd want to play. Um, but anyway, let us move on to the next player, Taylor Fritz, uh, podcast favorite. And I also want to frame this in like some of the stark um sort of contrast between Fritz and uh, Francis Siafo. Fritz was born into a really, really wealthy family. Um, his mom was a former top 10 player. His dad also played professional tennis. And on top of that, um, his great, his great, great grandfather um, founded May department stores, which ended up being acquired by Macy's. So he, he, he and his family do quite well. Um, and he grew up in sunny Calif- sunny Southern California, um, like right near San Diego. So his home major was Indian Well. His home major tournament, rather, was Indian Wells. And unlike Francis, he didn't really get super involved in the junior tour. Like Fritz has basically openly said that until he was 15, he really didn't play any super serious like ITF, you know, international events. And and I think that that was something that really contributed to his sort of meteoric rise and late bloom that has gone on with Taylor Swift, because when he was like 17, 18 years old, 19, did you just say Taylor Swift? I don't think so. You just said Taylor Swift. Well, I mean, it's an understandable mistake, (laughs) but um, the other but like that's the thing with Taylor Fritz is that he he has like had this meteoric rise over the past, I want to say two or three years that I think is a consequence of him getting into the game later on and, or taking it seriously rather later on in life. And I think that's, that's why we've seen this, this, this growth from him, including um, as seen in the Breakpoint uh, documentary, winning his home tournament of Indian Wells, uh, arguably the fifth biggest tournament of the year. So, uh, Marcus, why don't you just give us your thoughts on Taylor Swift? Oh, my God. I did do it again. Wow. I did did say it. Look at that. You're right. Um, On Taylor Fritz. Yikes. I'm the problem. It's me. So we know what Frankie's been listening to lately. Um, (laughs) Taylor Fritz is the complete opposite of Francis Tiafoe. You could have not put that any better. Uh, He is Mr. Movie Star looking dude from Southern California who just has like a nice, sweet, elegant game. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he he's just so he's like a, just your classic Southern California tennis player. And 
he also brings a, a certain type of passion to the game that we love and that we thought was, you know, we were growing up. I kind of thought he was going to be more like query esque, you know, like be good, but not like that good. But I like that comp, by the way. Very right? good. Good comp, right? Yeah. Like tall Southern cow, like laid back. Um, but he has turned himself into an absolute killer. He's ranked seven in the world now, uh, as shown in Breakpoint, the way he won Indian Wells with getting an injection into his foot. That was awesome to see. Uh, he's really, really cool for the game. I love the way he plays. Um, he's got very interesting kind of way that he plays, too. He uses the lightest tennis racket, I'm pretty sure, on the Pro Tour. It is about 300 and I believe it's 310 grams strong which is like lighter than my racket and Frank's racket, which is pretty freaking light for a guy of that physicality. Cause he's a big guy. He's like six foot three, you know, 185, 190 pounds. Yeah. He's Matt. And also just think about like how hard he's able to hit his serve despite having probably no plow through on, on that serve from the racket. Like he's, he's actually six, five by the way, which like more so proves your point. But you know, I think, uh, I agree. I, and the other thing with Taylor Fritz, like game wise in comparison with Tiafo, is like Fritz has a much more all around balanced game that um, that I think he's able to play a really unique style from the rest of his American compatriots. Like, yes, Fritz has the big serve. Awesome serve. But Fritz's weapon is not really his forehand. His best shot, in my opinion, outside of the serve, of course, is his backhand. Fritz has a tremendous, really like attacking backhand. And that's why in that final at Indian Wells, obviously, like there was all the injuries going on. But like, even if you take away the injuries, Fritz is a guy that would play Nadal really, really well because that ball, like Nadal's ball would have so much topspin, bounces pretty high. Fritz is a tall, so it's going to end up right in his wheelhouse and B likes to attack with the backhand. So that nullifies a lot of like Rafa's like shtick. And tall guys with good backhands is typically a recipe that Rafa does not like playing too much. Robin Soderling, how you doing? Um, <laughs> but anytime I get a chance to mention Robert Soderling on a podcast, I'm going to. I worshipped the guy growing up. Worshipped him. The, the, why, do you, why do you think I slap? Yeah, I mean, he's the man. But anyway, <laughs> getting back to, the, to Taylor Fritz. You know, so Fritz is able to play guys like Rafa pretty pretty well and i think that that's why we've seen fritz have those more consistent results uh throughout the tour years and 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 be able to crack like that top 10 top eight because something that we've mentioned on this podcast right like even two three months ago when we spoke about like are these the best eight players in the world for the world tour finals is that on a consistency basis yes that's what the rank the rankings do a really good job of showing who are the most consistent players all year? Not necessarily who are the best players all year, but who are the most consistent players all year? And Taylor Fritz is for sure a top 10 most consistent player on the tour. That you have to give him. But, uh, Marcus, before uh, I let you um, talk about what you would like to talk about with Taylor Fritz, this is a crazy fact that I did, that I just learned while reading all of this. Mm -hmm. What if I told you that Taylor Fritz, despite being a top eight player in the world, has only been to one major quarterfinal ever. That's it. Really? Yes. Which one? He made the quarterfinal at Wimbledon in 2022, last year, and that's it. 
He has never gone past the quarterfinal at any major. Well, now, I mean, you can get a lot of points from other tournaments on the tour. He does extremely well at Masters events. Um, does great but, at Masters, for sure. Yeah, wow. Well, that kind of, t- I think that's going to improve, though. I think we're expecting, that's going to be like the kind of the final evolution of Taylor here. Because I think the evolution that we've seen is him just being kind of a, you know, good player ranked between, you know, 20, 30, 40 does solid at some events will once in a while take somebody good out but for the most part is kind of a you know round of 16 round of 32 quarterfinal type guy but i love the way that taylor has kind of refocused and rededicated himself to tennis exclusively and the way that he's mentally approached the game he's a lot more intense out there seems like he wants it more it seems like he's more focused and that's something that we need in American tennis and that's something that he has brought and it's clearly earned him some some cookie points because he's made you know top eight in the world currently ranked seventh he's a top eight seed at grand slams on a regular basis so he'll always get that good draw I think the final evolution Frank is going to be him dealing with guys who are a little ranked a little below him but still can ball during three out of five set matches um, because that's where it gets really testy yeah I agree 100% I think you hit the nail on the head and one other thing that I just want to mention with Taylor Fritz that we mentioned for Francis Tiafo, which this is a, a similar parallel between the two, is that Fritz in 2018 finally entered the top 50, was looking good, but was really looking for that next step, right? Winning an ATP title, hitting top 25, etc. And he brought on Paul Anacone. And Paul Anacone was clearly that magic elixir that was missing. Uh, from the potion and 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 that made a big big difference in not only Fritz's mentality but his game as well so um, and then he also has another coach which Marcus will go on to now because I know that he wants to Mikey Russell baby the friendliest player ever on tour every U.S. Open ball boy knows that this guy was about like five foot five I swear to god but played some seriously good tennis and him and Paul have actually made a really cool duo team. If you end up watching Breakpoint on Netflix, you'll see how they kind of interact with Taylor. I think it's a really sweet combo. I agree. He's got a great combo. However, my pick for friendliest player of all time that I dealt with ball boying was Tim Smichek, who I will never forget. Um, if you remember him from Wisconsin, uh, mm-hmm. he is literally the nicest guy in the world. Every time you brought him the towel, he was like, thank you. When he asked for the towel, he was go, towel, please. So nice was literally just what a dude. Um, and you're probably saying, well, and you're probably like listening to this and thinking like, that seems pretty basic, but it's like, no, most of these players just snap their fingers and point at the towel. And then you'd go over, hand it to them, and then they throw it back at your face. Um, but thankfully uh, for the ball people now, uh, they no longer have to deal with this and the players have to get the towel on their own. True. So it's Tim Smichek, Mikey Russell, and Nicholas Almagro, right? Uh, and Andy Roddick. Add him to the list, too. Sure. <laughs> we love you, Andy. We want you on the pod someday. I Again, I I love Andy. Um, he And I'm sure he would self-admit, not exactly a delight on the tennis court. So, you know, it is yeah. what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, win them all. Um, anyway... Do you have anything else to add for Taylor Fritz or are we wrapping this puppy up? No, let's wrap it up. I think we kind of gave the listeners what they wanted in terms of backstory. 
kind of where these guys where where we want them to go and you know i'm really excited to see what these two can do for the rest of the year i think they're great for american tennis a great one-two combo so oh actually you know what i have one last thing oh yeah hit it let's 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 end with this what is the ceiling for both of them yeah we always do the ceiling i forgot about that um i think tfo it's a grand slam semifinal, which he's already hit and yeah yikes yeah, sorry. Um, maybe top ten. Maybe top ten. Fritz, I think, can win a slam, but it's going to be later in his career when he's like 28, 29. Uh, for Tiafo, I largely agree. I think that the U.S. Open, this that was his shot. That was the window, um, unfortunately. But... I think he can get to top 10 if he really refocuses his consistency and like, you know, everything like that, because the game is there. It's just a mental shift. If he's able to do that, I think he can get top 10. Yeah. I mean, he's at 15 already. So, and he's at 15 already. So I think he can get top 10. I think that's certainly a doable goal for Fritz. I think it's a lot harder to pinpoint because on one hand, right? If you're able to win Indian Wells, you should be able to win either Australia or the U.S. Open, right? Like, no doubt, in my opinion. I just don't know if he's going to be able to compete with the growth of guys like Alcaraz and Sinner now because of how much better that they've gotten. And even the Sitsipas, like, it, it just... It's just really difficult for me to see how he's able to win a major. So for me, his ceiling is like semifinal, final of a major, maybe, maybe a final if it opens up. Like he could totally do what Casper Rude did, sure. Um, but hey, Casper's done it twice. Casper's done it twice. No, respect, respect Casper, but Casper's done it twice. But yeah, I mean, like, could I see like, Taylor Fritz, like over time, building up so high of a ranking that he gets to like top four and then he gets a quarter to himself and then he just like runs the table to the final. Sure, I could see that. But do I think that he's going to be able to win it? I don't think so. Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I'm of the mindset that if he does run the run the table and get a good draw, that he just has to win just that one match. And if he can kind of pull it off kind of like Murray did for his first slam against Djokovic type situation where you just, you just got to do it once and you can maybe catches Carlos on a bad day or something. It's a maybe, but I think it has to be the U S open. It has to be the U S open. Cause he would be, he would benefit from the crowd. That's my like initial thought. Like I think he has to be on American soil. I don't think that he French is definitely a no. Wimbledon. Uh, Wimbledon is a maybe, but I think that there's a lot better grass court specialist that would beat him. Like, I like I take Berrettini like nine times out of ten against him on grass, like in every day, like every day and twice on Sunday, and then like that's not even counting like the top guys that are going to be good on all surfaces, you know. So, I think it's got to be America. Australia certainly could happen, but like. He just doesn't have the results there, unfortunately. And like, you know, I don't know. 
But also, yeah. I mean, listen, the U.S. Open, I think, is the room that he is the major that he has the most growth for. He's gotten to the third round of the U.S. Open. That was it. He got bounced in the first round last year. So I don't know. Um, either way, that is going to do us for uh, <laughs> rough day for me, Marcus. First Taylor Swift, <laughs> then Taylor Fritz. We, we got to get back into the rhythm. Yeah, I'm washed up. Uh, that is going to do it for us here at breakpoint podcast thank you for listening as always be sure to check us out check us out on all of our social media channels at breakpoint podcast 7 as well as our website which is podpage.com slash break dash point dash podcast and you can read a little bit more about us as well as check out all of our episodes be sure to follow us on spotify and hit the bell to get uh, notifications when we post a new episode, which we greatly appreciate. Helps us. We appreciate the 89 followers that we already have on Spotify. You guys are awesome. And if you have any episode suggestions, you want to be on the podcast, etc., please DM us on Instagram and we will be sure to hit you back and bring you on. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next time. See ya. Bye, guys.